Yes. Let's just pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, I thank you that you want to speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would be able to speak to everyone here, despite of my inefficiencies, Lord. Lord, that your word would uh, come out clear and strong. Amen. Okay, yeah, I'm going to be preaching on one particular book in the Bible. Uh, I've tried to cover it, kind of most of it, or that was my plan. And then when, when you dig in and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to need all day, or I'm going to need even longer. Um, and the book is 2 Timothy. So it's second letter to Timothy, written by Paul. Why is that letter significant? I think it's one of the, you know, this is the last letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament. He might have written other letters that didn't make it to the Bible, but this is the last letter we know of. And so we can read it in his language. We can, we can see his heart. We can see when he's saying, you know, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. I have run the race. I've kept the faith. Timothy. Here's the baton. Now it's your turn. And uh, so we're going to be looking look at some of the themes. How Paul instructs Timothy. How he encourages Timothy. What is he saying? You, you kind of note that the language is very encouraging. It, even though maybe in the background you, you might think, I think Timothy was in struggling with um, one way or another. We don't really detect it from the la language of Paul. It doesn't, there was no rebukes in there. <laughs> it's just really encouragement. Timothy, you can do this. You have seen me. I've set the example for you. We've run together. Now it's your turn. Just run with it. So yeah, and, and Paul really kind of confirms his legacy with that letter. He doesn't write to Timothy and say, oh, you know, when we did this, uh, I could have done that better, or don't do that. There's hardly none of that. There is none of that, but, but he kind of saying, just remember, remember, just do the same, do the same. So there's no deep doctrinal explanations in that letter, really. There are some little bits that he touches and some of it he just says you know what I'm talking about <laughs> you know it's like when you read it it's like oh I don't know but, but Timothy knew <laughs> so he, he brings out examples of soldier athlete he talks about farmer he talks about being a vessel being a servant there's all these imagery and it's clear that Timothy was on the same wavelength and, and uh, yeah challenge for us is obviously to catch that. And what really caught me, my attention to this book, I was, I caught a podcast. It's done by Passion. And uh, they did a series on, on this book. And there was 20 days in Second Timothy. So if you want to uh, catch it, find it on podcasts. It's on the Passion podcast. And it was actually last year in kind of October time. But I find it a very interesting letter, and it's something that, obviously, you need to know the background. You need to know the 
doctrine, the theology, what Paul was talking, and obviously all the other letters help us to do, fill in them blanks. But it offers us something different. It offers us something really practical, something very personal that we can also learn from. Okay, let's dive in before I explain more. Let's, let's just read a little bit from the first chapter. Uh, I have, I'm reading from NLT, actually, because I find it, it might be just slightly easier to understand for, for extreme members. That's, I can see one, at least. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, on, on the screen, I think it comes on the ESV, because we haven't got NLT. Right, greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our God give you grace, mercy and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Let's just pause here. What a start to a letter. What a way to tell Timothy. I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. How would that affect you if you received a letter from Paul? Just at the start, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for you. I'm with you. I'm praying for you constantly, night and day. I, even though I'm in prison, I'm stuck. I'm tied up. and probably going to be killed soon. But I long to see you again. It's it's very personal, isn't it? It's, the, it's an affirmation. It's, it's almost affectionate, isn't it? So let's read on. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Louise and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. This is why I am suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him, or what has been entrusted to me, until the day of his return. And then he says, hold on 
to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Okay, that's the kind of first portion of the uh, letter, first 13 verses. And I just wanted to pause here because he's talking about pattern, pattern of wholesome teaching. Before he goes on to other bits, he says, you know, hold on to. He's already mentioned there will be suffering. I've been suffering. There will be suffering for you. You will be taking some knocks. Be prepared for it. It's part of the journey. But he says, hold on to the pattern. And I was just thinking about the pattern. I think all of you know that I am a fireman. And, uh, and when I'm called into a house fire or building fire, and if it's my turn to go in wearing a breathing apparatus, or we call it BA for short, um, we don't just storm into the building and hope for the best. That we just, you know, we get there we, and we get out safely. No, we follow a pattern. And normally, there's a, what helps us, it's probably easier to demonstrate it. When you come in, you know, next thing you can all get a job in fire service. <laughs> Going to be really trained up. But we're in a BA, and you, you have to imagine you come to a building, and quite often you cannot see further than that much. You know, and, uh, and so it's very easy to get lost. It's very disorientating, a lot of smoke, and maybe sometimes it might even clear a little bit, and then it comes back stronger. And, and so the pattern, there's a search pattern we use. There's something, there's a clear pattern, the way we maneuver through the buildings, primarily to keep us safe, but also to be able to accomplish our task. And the pattern... You use the walls as your guide. If, you, if I would set off and this room was on fire and full of smoke and you go through the middle, you soon lose your bearings. You don't know where you are. And uh, unfortunately, most of the fatalities in Britain uh, involving firefighters, they actually have been very close to their safety. They've been very close to exit, but they've been unable to get there mostly because they've lost their bearings. So part of our search pattern, you do, do not lose your bearings, and you start with the walls. You're either left hand, right hand, and you keep check of that wall, making sure it's there, and at the same time you're sweeping to make sure you understand if there's any other things you need to find, like windows. You don't even notice the window there because the smoke can be that thick. Etc. or doors, we're looking for doors. And so, yeah, we work in twos, and as a team leader, your job is to make sure you don't get lost. And as a number two, you're kind of, you're at the side, and you kind of, what you do is you do this shuffle where you keep your weight to the back foot. So if all of a sudden the stairs, there's a hole, hopefully you just notice it as you sweep it with your toe before you just full, go down it with a full weight. And you sweep it with the arm if, if there's anything other that can hurt you. Any cables, electrical, live cables, 
Uh, that's one of the reasons why it's good to keep your hand that way. Again, if, you, if I was to touch a live cable, the way our body works just makes your hand come this way. If I went like that, I would be stuck on it and would be proper frazzled. But hopefully if you only catch it at the back of your hand, you like get a little knock, but it knocks you back and you're free of it, okay? So there, there are all these different techniques all designed to keep you safe, keep you moving, and uh, not to get lost. And why am I telling you this? So when Paul is talking about, remember the, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Because times are evil. He's saying there are difficulties. But stick to the pattern. Stick to the wall. The good news of gospel. Yeah, it's here. It's here. I'm right next to it. It's, it's there. I remember it. Um, and all the wholesome teachings. That, that keeps me well. That keeps me safe. And, and it's good to keep safe, isn't it? Quite often in fire service, again, while we're told who's the most important person in the fire, and, and they, they say, oh, the answer is you. And I'm like, sure, me? Me as a, as a rescuer, as a firefighter, and it's like, well, if I'm the most important, I wouldn't be going in there. <laughs> so uh, in a way, we have to remember there's a mission to complete. We're not, I'm not going in a house fire it's just to... Oh, just to wander about in smoke and, you know, in a highly flammable atmospheres, feel the heat, you know, see if I can get lost. No, no, there's a mission to complete. There's a mission to complete. There's either, and normally in fire service, with us with fires, it's quite simple. It's either to rescue somebody or deal with the fire. And we deal with the fire by putting water on it normally, yeah? <laughs> which is handy. Um, but, yeah, it's twofold. Either rescue or deal with a fire. So we've got a clear mission. And what Paul is actually reminding Timothy in the next chapter as well, it's, it's not just about keeping yourself safe. It's not just preserving yourself. Timothy, you've got a mission to do, mission to fulfill. And what is his mission? What is our mission as a church? Let's see what Paul says about it. For that, we can find it in chapter 2. Let's read the, the beginning, uh, first two verses of chapter 2. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. What is Paul getting at here? So it's about teaching others. It's not just, don't be the one who's just receiving all the teachings, all the information, and then what do you do? You sit down and you say, whoa, am I clever or what? The number of Bible studies I've been to, the number of notes I've written, oh, I could fill the books. No, 
It's about making disciples, isn't it? It's about making disciples. It's, let's read it again. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people. Why? So they will be able to pass it on to others. So the challenge for us as, as church, it's always, if you teach, is it actually something practical? Is it something that you can learn from? You know, now if you join the fire service, you've got a little bit of information at least, so I've taught you something. But, but in spiritual matters as well, discipleship, it's about, if I teach, are you able to receive it? And are you able to teach it on to the next person? And I think as a church, we really need to make sure that people, what's expected of them. That's why we have got discipleship community groups, TC groups, because we want people to learn and we want people to teach on. It's not about just learning, endlessly learning and learning. It's about actually using that knowledge, using that pattern, using, using your life experiences. Maybe sometimes... Uh, you might be a bit like me, you're, you're not that wordy, you're not that elegant with your speech as others, but you can still use your life experience and, and they can speak volumes. As you know, I've done youth work a couple of years in this church already. <laughs> Been involved with a few, um, and Justin was helping me at one point, which was great. And uh, youth have changed quite a bit, actually over the last few years. What do you think, think is one of the largest influence, what they reckon? Why Generation Z, as they're known as, or Gen Z, if, if you want to be more, you know. Uh, so what, what demographic am I talking about? It's people who were born 1997 till 2010, roughly, 2012. So I think Josh is just in it. Yeah, he's one of the one of the older end of Zedas, Zias. Um, so, and, and there's been research, research done. Uh, how can we reach best our young people? What's going on with them, really? How do we understand them better? What are the factors that really influence their lives? And I'm reading from uh, Rain Ministries website, Gen C, the internet in its pocket generation. Internet in its pocket generation. That kind of gives it away, doesn't it? What I'm going to say. And also, I've heard the term no longer teenagers, they're now screen Screenagers. Easy for me to say, isn't it? So, screenagers. So, the smartphone is perhaps the most significant factor that defines the distinctive behaviours of Generation Z. Some people are beginning to label it the internet in its pocket generation, in contrast to the previous generations who experienced the exciting emergence of the internet and the ability to access it anytime and anywhere. For Generation Z, the internet has always just been there. In his book, Meet Generation Z, James Emery White highlights that teenagers spend nearly nine hours a day absorbed by media. Sparks and Honey found 91% of Gen Z go to bed with their phones. Moreover, Giselle Abramovich found 79% of Generation Z showed symptoms of emotional distress when they are, aren't able to have their personal elect electronic devices. So that's 79%. I 
I don't think it's just Generation Z that actually. <laughs> but anyway, the impact of having a supercomputer in one's pocket is far-reaching. It has changed the way young people learn, where they gain knowledge, how they work and play, how long they can focus, who their friends are, how they feel about others, and how they feel about themselves. So, yeah, how long they can focus. Apparently, older people can focus a bit longer than younger ones. That's what they say. Uh, so, uh, the way younger people receive information, because there's a wealth of information for them, they're kind of wired to work a little bit differently. And if, if they've got questions, they just pop it out and see what Google says. What's on YouTube? And, and so it's not enough just to have the information. It's not enough just to have the teaching for them. But it, it is so much more important to actually set an example. Be a role model. Be actually one who's not just teaching it or not just parting information, but actually one who's lived it or is living it and is able to share experiences. That's what young people are looking for. And as a church, the challenge for us is, are we able to provide that? Are we able to say, yeah, actually, I'll step in a gap. I make sure I pray for someone constantly, night and day. And I make sure that I can share my experiences. You have to know them first, don't you? There's, there's no discipleship kind of model works. If, if Paul wants to speak to Timothy and Timothy's like, oh, I don't think you've got anything to offer to me. Or the other way around, Timothy's like, yeah, Paul, just tell me more. Tell me. And, and Paul goes, oh, I've told you so many times. How many times do I have to repeat myself? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> No, but it's about the willingness from both sides to learn, to teach, to receive. And as a church, we need to open our eyes how we can do that better. It is peer-to-peer, -peer, but it's about what some of the research done by Youth for Christ, they found that Generation Z actually care more about what their parents think about them than the previous generations. They're actually coming back to, they want to make the parents proud. When I was younger, I just, yeah, my parents were obviously the, the worst thing. <laughs> they didn't understand anything until I grown up, grew, well, I think they grew up. <laughs> <laughs> and started understanding me again. But Generation Z, they find that they do actually want to listen to parents. So I think it's a call out for all the parents out there and grandparents and all the caring adults that we've got, we've got our role to play. It might be in a small matters. It might be small matters that lead into full discipleship program. But you need to start somewhere. And... and uh, 
it's good to have in our youth working team, caring adults. We've got uh, Martin and Sue Wynn, and we've got Sue, Sue Bridgman, we've got Mandy now, and we've got Josh. And so uh, Josh is the one who's kind of lets us know what, what really is happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, he does a lot more than that, but, but yeah. But it's not just about, the age is not always the issue. It's about the heart, and it's, it's about being able to set example and actually investing, taking time to invest into them. Okay. Um, let's move on. So uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, so we talked about pattern. We talked about the mission, about teaching, making disciples. But our mission is to proclaim the gospel as well, isn't it? And so... Uh, <clears throat> Right at the end of the, the last chapter of, the, of this letter. So chapter 4 from the start, Paul writes, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. Preach the word of God. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not. Season or out of season. And also, I just want to come back to chapter 2. Which talks about the manner. Paul says, the manner you should, you should teach. And uh, I read from verse 23, chapter 2. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they are they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Did you hear it? Perhaps uh, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Don't be quarrelsome. Don't be a keyboard warrior. Don't try to fight and win arguments. Our job is to win people. Sometimes you get this feeling that some Christians are just, yeah, we're for the cause, we're for God, and, and we don't care about people. I don't care if I say something that actually hurts someone because I'm defending the gospel. It's good, good to defend the gospel, but do it patiently, do it gently, do it responsibly, and do it so that you're not, your aim is not to destroy people, but actually win them to Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, then they will come to the senses. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. It's not your job to argue them into the kingdom of God. So we, we need to learn to, to debate and, and to explain gently. That's what Paul is teaching Timothy. And I wonder if Paul had tried the other way. If he'd been in synagogues. And had proper debates. 
Oh, Jew Jewish people, they do like them. And Paul is actually saying, no, Timothy, just tone it down. Just win the people. We're in the business of winning people, not arguments. And that should reflect the way we behave on social media as well, on any kind of media. Can we win people? And sometimes it might feel like, it might seem like, oh, you're not defending the Christian faith. But it's about winning the people more importantly than, than winning the arguments. Okay, so we're, and, and it applies to young people as well because they are quite tolerant. They're, they've learned to be tolerant of everyone. And if, if you come across as intolerant, it might not reconcile with them. So you, you need to learn, we need to learn how to, how to discuss properly, how to, how to have these conversations. If people are up for a fight, you know, we can just say, hang on, we don't want to be part of this. If you, if you want to learn something of my, my point of view, then I happily tell you, and that if you can teach me how you see things, I'm willing to listen. But it's not about winning the fight. And uh, Chris Candia has written a book called Faithism. It's like faith and atheism compared. And he says in his book, I've not actually read the book, but I, I, what he's described about it, it kind of compares atheists against Christians and faith. And he says they seem to be polar opposites. When, when Christians talk about atheists, they write all sorts of terrible things and vice versa. But if only the gap is closed and, and sensible conversation had, a lot more can be won. Let's move on. Right, uh, let's go to chapter three. Another lesson from here. <laughs> so, yeah, we said about the time is difficult. The times are difficult. And... Uh, in chapter 3, Paul actually explains it a bit. The dangers of the last days, it's titled. And he goes, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love one only themselves and the money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to the parents. And ungrateful. Some children probably think, oh, I've, I've just added that. No, it's in the Bible. Just have a read. You need to be obedient to your parents. So, so yeah. So, they will boast, boastful and proud, scoffing at God, dis disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray the friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. And next verse says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They will act religious. That kind of, everything else, obviously, they being disobedient to parents, that's one of the things. But everything else, it's easy to kind of see there. And then Paul just 
brings out, they will act religious, but they will reject the power. I think UK has been quite a religious country, really. When I came here from Estonia, I kind of realized this is different. There are, everyone's been to church. Everybody's learned about church and, and, and God in, through the curriculum, through the education system. And uh, what I found, it actually wasn't maybe the best thing. <laughs> to be religious is not ideal. It's about, if you are religious, you reject the power of God. You just keep the form, but you reject the essence. I've actually come from uh, what I've learned is the most secular country in Europe, Estonia. Mo least religious. Because we don't have as many kind of Christian traditions. They don't run through history. They kind of... Church has been there. And uh, church has been blessed. And, but, but still, if the survey is done... Most of the people wouldn't say that they've got any faith. Uh, I just want to share about, on the background of this, John, can you put up the photo? I want to share about, a little bit about my hometown, Tallinn. And as you can see, the, the big church there, the steeple, that's, uh, we call it Olevista Church. In English, it's usually called St. Olaf's Church. Um, and it is like cathedral. And it has stood there for many years, many hundreds of years. Apparently the steeple at one point was even taller than that, and I think it was the tallest in Europe. But it's still pretty high. It is pretty high. Um, Joel, can you put the next photo? And these days, you could see near the edge of the steeple, there's a walkway, and so we, when you go to visit Estonia, Make sure you, you march up Olivester Church because the views. Let's have a next photo. Yeah, the views are beautiful. And let's have one more. And that's the view up the steeple. <laughs> but yeah, why am I showing you the photo of Olivester Church? I just want to share a little bit what happened with this church. Back in before the Second World War, when Estonia was still. Uh, independent country, there was a prophecy given by somebody from Elim Church in Tallinn. And they said, one day, there's going to be a massive movement of God, and it's coming from that church. <laughs> and at the time, there was a tiny German-speaking Lutheran congregation in that church, and everybody's like, hmm, are you sure? <laughs> but what happened in after the Second World War, when Estonia was occupied by the Soviet Union, and they decided, in their wisdom, they said, right, what we'll do is eight different churches from all around Tallinn, right, Olivester Church is your new home now. This is where you meet. And that made a congregation with a membership of 1923, 1,923 members. And so what kind of churches were there? Elim Church was one of them. There were a number of free churches, a number of Baptist churches, a number of evangelical Christian churches. So it was a proper mishmash, really. Uh, and they were just put together in that building and said, 
get on with it. And I, I guess they've done it in the past and, and they've seen that Christians can fall out and, and churches can just fall apart. And that's job done, isn't it, for, for Soviet powers. And second reason why I think they put it there, because KGB had their Western headquarters right next door. They moved into the building there and, and there was a massive trunk of cables going across and they used the tower to beam the messages all across the Soviet Union. So it was forbidden to go up the tower back then. There were lots of, you had to have a permission to do anything. Obviously, yeah, it was out of bounds. And yeah, so yeah, that was strategic place, strategically used, and KGB next door, they can keep an eye on things, what's happening in the church. They found 40 microphones fitted all around the church later. Um, so they, were, they knew they were listened to. They were told sometimes, stop praying for us. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, you would say it was time that wasn't easy. Uh, lots of things weren't allowed to do. You, you would, the view of Soviet power was, we allow you to meet, but once you die, the faith will die with you. You're not allowed to preach to, especially youngsters, to school, schools, to uh, underage. You can't use any propaganda. If you want to put like a leaflet up, you can put it next to the front door. That's the only place you can go. You can't, you know, there were all these different rules. Some of them were ignored at times and, and then came a letter and, and the church leaders had to, you know, endure some uh, harsh words, etc., and and not just harsh words, actually. There were obviously times when church leaders were arrested, they were sent to um, Siberia, but that ten tended to happen earlier on. So by the time now, I'm looking at 68, 70s, um, things were a little bit easier in that sense. But there was a group of uh, house groups, and they were meeting and and it all starts with the, started with the prayer movement. And they started praying and earnestly, three, four times a, a week at least, sometimes all night, go to work. Well, I've had strong coffee before. And when you, after work, you go back to prayer meeting just for another hour or two. It was like, and when they say what were they praying for, they weren't praying for themselves. They just wanted more of God. And that prayer kind of movement led to uh, outreach, at the same time, they, they thought, hang on, we need to kind of somehow find a way to preach the gospel without um, going against everything that KGB wants us to do. And, and so they came up with like choir nights where you can invite your family members and, you know, it's just a very friendly. You can listen to music. You can enjoy choir music. Choir music is very popular in Estonia. There were loads of choirs back then. And... And this particular choir then was called, it kind of started with, with small startings, kind of side rooms, and in the end, it developed into quite a big movement. And the choir was called Efata, and that's, that's taken from Hebrew when uh, Jesus uh, told the words open. So it means open in, in Hebrew, uh, which 
which accompany the healing. And, uh, and so Efata, what it was called, and uh, they were influenced by many uh, Pentecostal charismatic movements, really, coming from uh, Finland mostly. And, and they were hungry for God, learning more about God, about being baptized in the Spirit. And they believed that signs and wonders should follow the proclamation of the gospel. It shouldn't be just gospel proclaimed, but signs and wonders should follow. And, and as I explained, there was quite a diverse church, so not everybody agreed with it. Not everybody went along with it, but there was this, these nights, Efata, choir nights. They happened, I think, three times a month, two Saturdays and one Sunday night. And they started to see God moving amongst them. And as they learned more about Holy Spirit, and at one point there was a, another preacher from uh, Finland, and he, he came and, and people started falling over in spirit. We know what it means. We know what it is. Uh, but that was fairly new for most of them. Uh, and KGB, they really didn't like that. They said, hypnosis mm, shouldn't be done by only qualified people who are certified medical. And they said, if you do that again, we're going to shut the church down. And they're like, oh, what are we going to do? And, and they said, that, well, we just trusted God. We prayed and we said, God knows. And we're going out and just doing what we've done before. And from that day onwards, people didn't fall over. But what they found, there were more and more healings happening. And um, Estonian language is very different to Russian language. And so they started translating some of the meetings to Russian. And what they found, there were people coming, started to come from all over the Soviet Union, finding their way to Tallinn. And again, it wasn't advertised and it was just word, word of mouth. And and so he, he was just climbing all through 70s, just getting bigger and bigger. There were people healed. They're going back to their countries, to Kazakhstan and even out to Mongolia and places like that. And they, it's, it is documented that they found that the train stations got really busy on them weekends. And also airport. There were just people coming and... and uh, and they had their routine. They tried to pray on Saturday mornings. And one, one Saturday, they get a phone call from KGB saying, oh, get, here, get to church quickly. There's a few hundred Russian-speaking people outside just asking about the healing meeting. And, and they just, obviously, they knocked on the wrong door. <laughs> and they said, you need to come and deal with this. Come on. <laughs> so they had to start the meeting early. And, but anyway, it just showed that it was growing. It was growing all the time. And, uh, and it wasn't youth movement anymore. There were, were people coming from all ages as, as they saw more and more healings. And, and evil spirits being driven out. In Estonia, it wasn't that prevalent, but people who came from all over the Soviet Union, it was, it was quite uh, often it happened. And... and uh, <clears throat> And so the workers had to, it wasn't easy. I don't think it was easy for them. They, they've explained it, you know, us Estonians, we're kind of, the social distancing measures, apparently they caused a bit of a problem for them. Because Estonians don't like to keep just two meters apart. 
and they felt like social distancing measures pushed them further together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, not the other Russian-speaking nations are not quite like that. So when they wanted to get prayer, they made their way in, and you know uh, they left lots of rubbish behind. There were um, sandwich papers, there was all sorts. Church needed always cleaning <laughs> afterwards, and, and so it was inconvenienced. The, there was always, always smells that you know <laughs> you can just imagine. Uh, but so what I'm trying to say: the movement, God's movement, sometimes it's inconvenient. And there are sometimes people who actually missed out because they didn't like the music. They didn't quite agree with everything that was going on. But God was moving because of some faithful people that they prayed and they stepped out and they believed and they preached the gospel in the power of the Spirit. They didn't want to just preach the word and, and just do it in a religious manner. But no, they wanted, wanted the power and they saw it. And it was happening, it was growing until 1980 when there were Olympic Games in, in Moscow. But the sailing was done all in Tallinn. And that was kind of the last time uh, they were able to run the Russian-speaking meetings. And that's when they had an ultimatum, right, we will shut you down, the whole church, unless you stop the Russian-speaking services. And they have regretted it afterwards, but they had, they had to stop. They had to stop the Russian-speaking services. The miracles didn't stop straight away, but, but they say it, it just started to fade out. Um, they were still happening in smaller home groups, and, and they were still happening when, when the, there were preachers who went actually visiting all these different wonderful countries in Soviet Union, and they said they were still happening out there. But the door was closed. And somebody had prophesied before. They said, firemen will come and put this fire out. But they said, one day, it's going to be relit again. And nobody will be able to stop it. And that's the, that's the belief that Estonian church, that they're holding on to and they're working towards. And <clears throat> so, preach the word in season, out of season. I could tell you more about, you know, different instances what I've learned about my own family, my, my aunt. People were pressed. The KGB, maybe they didn't do it directly physical, but there was psychological pressure on church leadership, which was immense. And, uh, and so, even under pressure, are you able to preach the word, straight, stay true to the gospel, and don't just preach it, preach it with the power that the Holy Spirit gives you. So, I'm going to, I think I'm going to cut it there. It's probably, is it time? Yeah, I, I just finished off with the last point, really. Um, so, what we've said so far, Paul wrote this letter to remind Timothy, stay in the game. You might have to take some knocks, but stay in the game. I'm giving the baton to you. Stay true, stay Stay true to the pattern of teachings that I've given you, but 
remember the mission. Remember the mission. Preach, proclaim the gospel with everything you got. And teach others so they can teach others. So that they can teach others. So that was the mission. But also in, in the letter you can read, Paul talks about you're not alone. He also compares it when he has been rejected by different people. Some of them are very hard to uh, pronounce, so I'm not going to try that. <laughs> but yeah, he says the whole province of Asia, they've deserted me. But then it says, well, there were people who stuck by me. Onesiphorus was one of them. And he said he even came and found me in, in Rome. And he cared for me, so he just keeps mentioning him in a few places. And also he mentions Prisca and Aquila. Some say Priscilla and Aquila. It's the same name, not different couple. It's the same couple. Uh, and they're honored as, as Paul's co-workers. And they were a married couple. Uh, worth doing a Bible study just on them. Uh, there is a pattern in Bible for married couples leading a church. Because that's what they did. And not in just one place, but in Ephesus and Corinth in Rome, they were influential in uh, development of Apollos as a speaker. Uh, they made sure he knew about the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. So he was a, they were co-workers of Paul. And, and Paul says in his letter towards the end, you know, let's grab it quickly, sorry. It's part of the final greetings. Let me, it's easy to read it from Bible straight, wasn't it? Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Yeah, and he mentions a few other people who Demas was his co-worker. He's mentioned before and he says he's left me. He's left them. Um, what does he say about Demas? Let me, sorry, Harold. So, yeah, it, if you want to follow it, it's on uh, chapter 4, verse, four uh, verse 9. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Timothy has uh, deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And he also mentions, bring Mark with you when you come but he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I just want to mention that Mark. What do we know about Mark? Mark was part of uh, uh, Paul's gang when they did the first missionary journey. And something happened during that first missionary journey that Mark did, had to desert them, had to quit. And Paul didn't like it. And so there was a bit of an argument between Paul and Barnabas and they you find out that the second mission journey they went different ways and they believed that Mark was the reason because Barnabas kind of decided that Mark is still a good man and worth it and Paul says no he quit on me I'm not having him a bit resolute really but 
We don't know exactly the circumstances. But what we do know, what Paul writes here in, the, in, the, in his last letter, he says, bring Mark to me because he is actually useful to me in my ministry. Mark, who was kind of rejected at one point, was looked over, was thought, he's not quite got it. He's not good enough for me, Paul said. But now he says, no, he is good enough. Maybe you feel like you've been overlooked at one point in your Christian journey. Maybe your ministry. You feel like it hasn't been allowed to flourish or it's not been valued. But Mark was, Mark and Paul were able, able to uh, reconcile. And Mark was used, used again. And obviously we know he wrote the gospel. Gospel of Mark. So he did a lot of good work. And it is possible to reconcile. And we just need to, sometimes we have to take a knock and we have to get up again. It's just like Paul is telling Timothy. Almost like who plays rugby. Yestin's not here. In rugby, you have to get hold of the ball and you, you need to make the yards for your team. And you know you're going to take a knock. You know you're going to get hurt a bit. You, and probably going to get tackled to the ground. But Paul says, you know, this is worth it. Get hold of the ball. You take a knock, you might fall down, get up again. Because you're not alone. You're not alone, actually. And he names all these people who are around him. And, and they said, and his last words as well is, may the Lord be with your spirit and may his grace be with all of you. Because Paul knew the importance of discipleship community we're in this together although Paul obviously felt alone and you can read more on this letter where he actually says they all deserted me they let me down and he kind of says Timothy it might happen to you but, but value, value these people around you value these people who are next to you with whom you're running the race and also just the very last point in chapter 2 Verse 22, it actually says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So he's actually urging Paul, don't be a loner. Don't try to do it all on your own. Enjoy the companionship. Work together. Church, we need to be careful that no differences can keep us apart. And uh, like in Estonian church, there were people who missed out on tremendous move of God, where hundreds were healed, and, and the, these healings carried all over the Soviet Union, and we don't fully know the fruits of it all, but one day, perhaps. But don't miss out because you, you're kind of unsure about the. Just test it out. Ask God. Get alongside with your brothers and sisters, and march on. Fight on the good fight, just like Paul had done. We're on a mission together. Let's stick to the pattern we know. Make sure we know where we are with our wall. Our gospel is guiding us. And let's rescue people from the clutches of death. Let's do it together. Let's do it well. Amen.